Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Power of prayer. Not talking about that this morning, but we learned last fall, and we pray that you are continuing to pray, and uh, just so grateful for uh, Lori Hopper's great recovery. It's just amazing that she was able to be out already, having had the surgery she did. So uh, we're thankful for those of you who prayed and those of you who we know in the congregation are true prayer warriors. We pray every day and all the time, and we appreciate that. And uh, do remember Don, of course, this Thursday is his surgery, Thursday morning, so please pray for him and Janet. Okay, thank you, Jim, for the songs. Um, Isaiah 40, we're going to start there in a moment, so you can get ready. Sometimes it seems, I'm not going to tell you anything new this morning, so to speak, but just a reminder that, you know, often in our sophisticated day and age, with all of our uh, science and technology and the things we've done as the human race, the space exploration and um, micro discoveries in microbiology and DNA and advances in medicine and worldwide communication and just on and on and on, we forget that God is still God and he's ruling in the affairs of men. It all still holds true. Uh, we look at these things from our perspective down here, and we think, wow, how marvelous and great these things are. And truly they are, to some extent. But if we were looking down from God's perspective, you know, he's smiling. He is enabling us to do these things. He is blessing us to do these things. But we are the creatures and he is the creator, and we're living on his planet. And we, need, we should never forget that. Isaiah 40. This is, you know, you want to you center yourself up again in your faith. You just come back and read this passage of scripture. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult? And who gave him understanding? And to, who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? All rhetorical questions, and you know, when that is given that way, that the answer is no one. Nobody. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They're regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. 
And it's not to say God doesn't love the people he created. That's not the point of the passage. The point is, God is great and sovereign. And anything that happens on this planet is like nothing to him. Does he care about us? Yes, he does. But he is so huge, so magnificent, so amazing, so awesome. I hate to use that word. It's so overworked. So powerful, so glorious. This is like nothing to him. It really is. And so when you consider that and say, you know, we had the lesson, was it last week, two weeks ago, what is man that you're mindful of him? It's like, wow, truly the psalmist, he, he got it. David got it. And you, God, you are God. What is man? Nations are a drop in the bucket. It's God's world. He created the planet, all that's in it, every last star, galaxy, virus, microbe, cell, you name it. His hand is behind it, in it, and on it. He created man and spread the nations on the earth. Still true today. Still true. True today, nothing has changed. Don't let anything you see out there, read, hear somebody else say, change your mind. This is still true. God is over all. And hopefully he's your God, the one you serve. You know, sometimes we get to worrying and wondering about what's going on in the world and happening among the nations and the countries and the politics and all the other groups that are out there. You know, with China. Oh, China's so big. She owes, owns so much of our debt. Uh, she's so rapidly expanding. What's going to happen with China? North Korea, you know, the wild card throwing off missiles here and there, pay attention to me, uh, just, you know, the rogue nation, so to speak. What, what will she do next? Iran, same thing. Just like, who are these people and what do they want, you know, and they tell us what they're going to do and we just wonder when they're going to do it, when they're going to do something crazy. Russia, you never know about Russia. Putin is a giant question mark. One day he says one thing and the next day it's another thing. You know, we, we wonder, we worry. You've got ISIS out there and other terror groups. When are they going to strike next? What are they going to do crazy? Are they going to get a hold of a nuclear bomb? Then Washington, D.C. and still with all its politics and parties and infighting and backroom deals and is anything ever really going to get done that needs to be done? And on and on and on we can go. So we want to take a breath and refocus on God and understand He is the sovereign God. He sees everything, He knows everything, and He is over all. And we need not fear
Let's go to Isaiah 9. I'm going to work my way through this real quickly here, 9, 8 to 10, 4, to set this up. As was often the case, and a sad, sad case in the Old Testament, God was upset with his people because they continued to go off after other gods, the Baals, the Ashtaroth, idols, and, and uh, not only that, but they did not follow the law. They mistreated one another. They oppressed one another. And... Uh, he had to do something. He just could not let his people continue down that path. So he sent prophets after prophet after prophet, and by and large, nobody listened. They didn't want to listen. And so he had at different times to send different peoples against them, to punish them, to discipline them, and try to bring them back. So here, starting in... in Verse 8 of Isaiah 9, the Lord sends a message against Jacob, and it falls on Israel. And he talks there about pride and arrogance of heart. I said, I'm not going to read this all word for word. Uh, talks about some of the things he's already done. The Arameans and the Philistines, 12, they have already come against Israel. And guess what? It didn't do any good. The end of verse 12, and I want you to see the repetition of this. In spite of all this, his anger does not turn away and his hand is still stretched out. In other words, God's hand of judgment is still stretched out on the land because this has not helped them at all. They just continue in their ways. So then 13, he goes into another series of things and talks about what he's going to do. He's going to cut off the head and the tail the false prophet, and the elder is supposed to be an honorable man, all right, um, but they're not. They're doing the wrong things. He does not take pleasure in the young man, they, not, nor does he have pity on the orphans or, and widows, for every one of them is godless and an evildoer. They were corrupt inside because they had not had the proper training or leadership by their king nor their priests. And so at the end of 17, he says, in spite of all this, his anger does not turn away. His hand is still stretched out. I think God's upset. So then in 18, for wickedness burns like a fire, consumes briars and thorns, etc. 19, the fury of the Lord of the hosts of the land is burned up. Notice in 20, the concept of greed and they're at each other's throats. They slice off what is on the right hand, but still are hungry. They eat what is on the left hand. They're not satisfied. Manasseh devours Ephraim, and Ephraim, Manasseh. In spite of all this, his anger does not turn away. His hand is still stretched out. Verse 1. Woe to those who enact evil statutes and constantly record unjust decisions and talking about in the courts. There was not real justice. There were bribes and the widows and orphans were taken advantage of. He talks about them in verse 2. They plunder the orphans, the widows, they take their spoil. Verse 4. In spite of all this, his anger does not turn away and his hand is still stretched out. So God has got to do something. 
And he does. The next verse. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hands is my indignation. I send it against a godless nation and commission it against the people of my fury to capture booty and to seize plunder and to trample them down like mud in the streets. Now we might say, wow, Lord, you're really taking it too far here. But obviously God doesn't see it that way. But he's raising up Assyria to hurt his people. That's what he's doing. Assyria becomes the rod of his anger, the staff of his indignation. In his hand, he's going to use Assyria to punish his people. The godless nation is Judah. Godless, he calls them. The people of my fury, that's his own people. The people are going to feel his wrath. Assyria is supposed to capture booty, seize plunder, and to trample them down the street. In other words, you make them really hurt. That's what I'm using Assyria for, the rod of my indignation. And God does this. And he's doing it here for a good reason. So we were kind of talking a little bit about this in our Bible class this morning, but, you know, when we see nations rising up against nations and things like this happening on the earth, even today, we should not just automatically think, oh, wow, there's something happening. We should really consider, is God behind this, first of all, and we should certainly know God sees what's going on. He understands it, and he's got his hand on it. He's not going to let it get out of hand. To thwart his purposes. We should always remember that. We should see that. God rules in the nations. And he still does today. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. So, Assyria is coming against Israel, Judah. And she is the rod of his indignation. However, verse 7 is key. However, Assyria doesn't see it that way. That's what verse 7 is about. Assyria thinks it's doing this all by itself. Yet, it, meaning Assyria, does not so intend nor does it plan so in its heart. We're not just going to be here to punish these people. Okay? What does it say? But rather, it is its purpose to destroy and to cut off many nations. That's what Assyria is about. I'm the big guy on the block, the big kid. I'm going to flex my muscles and I'm going to do what I will do to all the nations around me. And as I was thinking about that, I was just wondering how many nations today, countries, leaders of nations, 
see themselves as instruments for God's good use, or they just think they can do whatever they want to do for their own purposes. Very few, if any, I think, probably see themselves as being God's instruments for good. But if we look at the broad sweep of Scripture, we understand that all nations are supposed to honor God, aren't they? They were all created by Him and for His glory. But so they've all gone astray, seeking their own ways and their own things, their own power, their own agendas. Assyria was a very vicious people, very wicked. And that's what they did. She was a world empire in the day, conquering everything in its path as it swooped down from up north above the Euphrates and down the eastern side of the Great Sea, the Mediterranean, Syria, Tyre, Sidon, northern kingdom even came to the gates of Jerusalem, and we're going to wrap up there, even defeated Egypt. Great power, but a very wicked people. But they never saw that they were the hand of God to punish his people. They would have never have admitted that. Verse 8. So it says, meaning Assyria, are not my princes all kings? Isn't a Kauno like Carchemish, or Hamath like Arpad, or Samaria like Damascus? So her arrogance is showing. You know, I'm so great that even my princes, they're all like kings. I mean, they're so great. They're so wonderful and powerful and wise. Yeah, that's us. And then she's detailing all these cities that she's already conquered and making comparison, you know. Well, we conquered this city, but isn't that city we haven't conquered yet just like that one? You know, and isn't, what is the one, Samaria, just like Damascus? I'm sure at this point they'd already conquered Damascus. And Samaria is no different than Damascus. You know, what, what are you going to, how are you going to stop us? You see? We've conquered them all. Nobody's been able to stop us. No fortifications, no armies, no strategies. No, we've got this in the bag. And then I thought again today about nations and how they like to boast, you know. We got this and we got that and we got this army and we got that army and we got this uh, oil reserves and, you know, whatever you got. We got this much money. Oh, yeah, boasting on their own about themselves and their own power. Nothing has changed. Verse 10. As my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idols, whose graven images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her images, just as I have done to Samaria and her idols? Of course, in those days, the idols, of course, were the gods, represented the gods, and she's destroyed all these kingdoms and had these great and marvelous idols, these gods. 
and she looks at Samaria and looks at Jerusalem, and, you know, and this, this is an indictment of God's people because they had idols in those days. And that's what Assyria sees in them. And says, I've, I've already destroyed kingdoms and cities that have greater idols than you've got. Why, why do you think your gods are going to protect you? You see? You've got nothing to hold on to there either. You know, I've overcome them all. And again, like I said, this is a sad, sad picture of God's people that, that what Assyria saw as far as their religion was idols and not the true and living God, not that they had the temple of God even there in Jerusalem. All they saw was, you got idols. No wonder God is upset with his people. Verse 12, so it will be that when the Lord has completed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the pomp of his haughtiness. So here's, here's the prophet's perspective on all this as we know what happened. The Lord's going to say, you know, he's talking about Assyria. When I'm done with Assyria, hurting my people as much as I want to hurt them at this time, then, guess what? I'm going to take care of Assyria. She's not going to get away with it. Because she raised herself up just to be nasty and harsh and hurt people. As he says here, in particular... He points out the arrogant heart and the pomp of the haughtiness of the king of Assyria. Assyria thinks she's done all this on her own, but she will find out she is terribly mistaken. Assyria has been a puppet in the Lord's hands to accomplish his will. And I think this shows how God, how much he dislikes pride and arrogance. God says, I'll take care of Assyria when this is over. When I'm done with her, she's accomplished my purposes, I will take care of her. And so it still is today. Maybe he does use nation to hurt another, to teach a lesson, to bring them into submission. But if the nation that did that has shown itself to be overly evil, wicked, haughty. God can bring that one down too. And so as we see these things go back and forth before our very eyes, understand God is working. God is there. His hand is involved. Don't be afraid. Verse 13. For he has said, meaning Assyria, by the power of the king of Assyria, by the power of my hand and by my wisdom I did this. For I have understanding. I removed the boundaries of the peoples and plundered their treasures. And like a mighty man, I brought down their inhabitants. And my hand reached to the riches of the peoples like a nest. And as one gathers abandoned eggs, I gathered all the earth. And there was not one that flapped its wing or opened its beak or chirped. 
Those are the words of a haughty person. My hand, my wisdom, I have been a mighty man. And see the image he uses there, like plundering eggs out of a nest. And he says that the birds were so afraid, not a one of them chirped or flapped their wing. The, the nations were just afraid. They just stood back. They feared me so much. Again, today we hear boastings by people, threats, saber-rattling as we used to hear in school, you know, when somebody promised to do this, they moved the army here, they moved a, uh, a fleet there, and they said these words, and if you do this, we'll do that. Okay, all right. God's hand is there. He's not detached. He's not out doing something. He knows what's going on. Verse 15. And if you don't remember any verse at all out of this, and I hope you remember a lot of them, and go back here and reread this, and find strength in it and faith. Is the axe to boast itself over the one who chops with it? Is the saw to exalt itself over the one who wields it? That would be like a club wielding those who lift it, like a rod lifting him who is not wood. So I thought I'd bring this today. Shirley wasn't sure about this, but thought you might all get afraid. Poor man's chainsaw. This was Assyria in the hand of God, chopping on his people, hurting his people. And like he says there, will the axe start to use the one who wields it? That's God, the power of God. And we might say, you know, when, when your axe or he uses a saw, or your walking stick, or whatever you use, when it starts to use you, when it starts to pick you up and chop wood with you, or starts to beat on someone with you, then we need to be afraid. Then we need to understand that the scripture is not true. But as long as people wield axes, and hammers, and saws, and drills, and spatulas, and kitchen knives, and whatever else you want to say, we have nothing to worry about. Because God uses nations like we use tools. He does. It's still true today. Assyria was the axe. God was the chopper. Still true. Sometimes it looks like things are out of hand, that God isn't there, but don't be fooled. Don't be fooled at all. He's still watching over everything.
Verse 16. Therefore, all right, this is kind of the wrap-up here. I've used Assyria. She's been proud. She's been haughty. She hasn't understood. She's gone beyond what she really should do. I'm going to bring her down. Therefore, the Lord, the God of hosts, will send a wasting disease among his stout warriors, meaning Assyria. And under his glory, a fire will be kindled like a burning flame, and the light of Israel will become a fire, and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in a single day. And he will destroy the glory of his forest and of his fruitful garden, both soul and body, and it will be as when a sick man wastes away. And the rest of the trees of his forest will be so small in number that a child could write them down. Wow. Isn't that something? You know that happened. Go back to 2 Kings. Assyria came, as we said, to the gates of Jerusalem. She had, in fact, conquered all the northern kingdom. Remember the story? The Reb Shekah came and was talking to Hezekiah's people on the wall. And he says, what are you people holding out for? You know, I'll give you a few horses here if you can put anybody on them. And he got a letter. Hezekiah got a letter. He took the letter in before the Lord God there in the temple. Spreads it out and he prays over it. He says, Lord, what about this? What are we going to do? You read that all in 2 Kings there, 18 and 19. And God says, the king of Assyria is not going to shoot one arrow in this place. He wasn't there yet. He was in another town, another city he was besieging. He says he's not going to come here. And he didn't. There was an army around Jerusalem besieging it, but the king of Assyria was in another place. And so we want to finish up in 1935. Realize I'm cutting this really short. To get the full effect, really please go home and read this. Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. It came about as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that Adramelech and Sherezer killed him with a sword. And they escaped into the land of Ararat, and Esarhaddon, his son, became king in his place. God was true to his word. He said, I'll take care of Assyria. I'll take care of the king of Assyria. And he did. He brought them all down. Assyria never recovered. Not long after, Babylon overran Assyria and became the, the big kid on the block. Nothing has changed in 2,600 years. God still rules in the king, kingdoms of men. Still does. He still wields the axe and the saw. So when you see things happening and hear premiers and presidents and kings strutting and boasting and threatening, 
Just remember, who holds the axe? God still rules. True today, as it was back then. We'll wrap up the lesson. If anyone is of the mind to obey the gospel this morning and accept Christ Jesus as Lord, we'd be glad to assist you in your obedience. Christ Jesus is the king now who sits on the throne of Israel. His father is the God whom we've just talked about. Christ Jesus is ruler of the kings of the earth, as we read in Revelation 1. So nothing has changed. He's now ruling. and He knows what's going on. But also he has overcome Satan and sin, and he offers a place in his kingdom to all those who will accept him. So we encourage you to accept him this morning and come and confess him before this group and be baptized into his name. If you are a Christian, you're struggling with anything. Maybe you're uh, fearful of what's going on in the world. Maybe you're struggling with sin in your life. Whatever it might be, we're here to assist you and help you. If you want prayer this morning, that's available. However we can assist, please let us know while Brother Jim leads us.